Hey, this is Jacqueline. Thank you so much for tuning into Current Mood. I really enjoy doing the show and putting it together, but it does not happen all by myself. <laughs> Let me tell you. I have an incredible producer, Jarrell Perry, a network of truly supportive family and friends, and also listeners. Thanks, guys. And I also use Anchor, which is a really cool way to make a podcast. With the Anchor app, you can record and distribute your podcast. You can also track your analytics. You can have music to your podcast. It's a really neat platform and has totally expanded the way that I do storytelling. Um, if you wanted to check it out, you could download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. No matter what, don't forget that your voice is necessary and it's valid and it's urgent. Don't let anybody disqualify or discredit your voice. Hey, welcome to the Current Mood Podcast. This is your host, Jacqueline Marie. Current Mood is a series exploring self-care techniques, mental models, and core patterns propelling our increasingly digital lives. Through conversations with founders, entrepreneurs, educators, and executives across creative disciplines, I get a chance to learn about things that work for people in their everyday lives. In this episode of Current Mood, I sit down with music journalist Sydney Madden from NPR Music. If you've been tracking the growth of NPR Music's Tiny Desk over the past few years as it's really expanded deeper into hip-hop and R&B, you can likely thank Sydney and her team for putting you on. <laughs> Sid and I dive deep into establishing self-confidence through mantras, navigating personal boundaries, and mental health in a corporate work environment, and moving the ball to the next generation to empower women particularly women of color. Throughout this layered conversation, I really get the chance to understand Sydney's unique perspective and cultural mark as we speak super transparently about the foundational pieces of journalism, what goes into the production of news, and some of the do's and don'ts of working with journalists that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Welcome to Current Mood. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you and <laughs> who are you can you tell the people who, who you are? am i i'm about to go into like the jay-z narwhal like i am the american dream personified no no <laughs> i <Are you> good <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't have i don't have the gall to do that um i am sydney madden i'm a music journalist at npr music dude can I have your autograph <laughs> bye goodbye <laughs> bye um yeah, I think I'm just trying to remember, like, I've been following your work for what seems like, I don't know, at least five years. Oh, really? Damn. Thank um, you, Jacqueline. I've been following your work since we met. Oh. Remember how we met? <laughs> Ever since we met, I was like, damn, okay, she's she's one of those. I got to keep my eye on her. No. And every byline, every byline just been getting better hey. and better. <laughs> wow. Hey, thanks. Wow. Good. I had no idea. But first, I want to know, what music do you listen to on Sunday morning? Because, guys, right now, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> it is Sunday morning, yep. And I appreciate you for accommodating this schedule and, and linking up on Sunday. Um, what do I listen to on Sunday morning? Well, I mean, I don't, 
I don't prescribe to the whole Sunday morning cleaning your house music thing. I think that's <laughs> one of the worst metaphors you can put on an artist or an album or anything like that. Uh, so I'm not someone who's waking up, you know, sweeping my floors, listening to gospel or, or, you know, they, they always say like one of the old Kanye albums. I think it's like, I think it's college dropout is the cleaning your house music, but I don't know. I hate, I hate that analogy. At one time someone said that to me at a party and I just straight up walked away from them. But, <laughs> um, I, I jump around on Sunday mornings. I am someone who tries to be tries to pride myself on being a productive person, I'll say. I'm very list-oriented, type A, Mm -hmm. I'm a Virgo, and so I make a list and I have stuff to do, and I just, my my sounds jump around as I'm getting my tasks done for the day and, like, preparing myself for the week ahead. So Mm -hmm. this morning I... um, I listened to an EP from Maya Amalo. She's a, she's a, she's a young upstart. She's, I want to say she's from Nigeria. Uh, she mm-hmm. dropped her first EP and it's called Leave Me at the Pregame. And I've been meaning to listen to it for a while, but it dropped earlier this month in July, but I liked what I, I liked what I heard from her. I'm, I try to dedicate a good chunk of my weekend to like listening to the baby acts, listening to the indie artists mm. because, you know, as a as a music journalist, a lot of times your inbox during the week is flooded with press releases from the major labels and people <laughs> who are like, oh, this person's buzzing and signed, but don't tell anybody. But can you like put this on a whole bus? Like, so it makes it look like grassroots. And I'm like, okay, all right, right. calm down. Do you um, even read press I, releases? I always wondered if anyone um, ever reads them. Well, <laughs> I mean... No, not really. Not so much yeah. anymore. I mean, I know because I try to dig for stuff. So by the time right. somebody links up with the press, with the with the PR, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, yeah, I know this person. Yeah, they live in yeah. Queens. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, their favorite spot is that bodega. By- yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean that's not always the case, but like you could have written the press release at that point. I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that. Um no, but but definitely by the time they get signed to a big like big um label, I'm usually like, yeah, I know this person. I know. They've been on my radar. I'm glad I'm glad they found a home with you guys. That's awesome. Um but I don't need all the primer language that they put in there. But yeah, yeah so I do I do read press releases sometimes. Uh sometimes I need to you keep my press releases around for the fact check stuff and like who's going right. to be the, the quickest contact. But no, I don't, I definitely, my whole day would be gone if I just read every press release, to be honest. Sorry to all my yeah. publicist friends. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to this man. But I mean, I get the information yeah. I need. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, are you helpful. You find it, you're a journalist. Yeah. You, you don't need it in your inbox. You you go and yeah. find it. Yeah, <laughs> and I know who, and, and you know what, at the very least, a press release is good because it's like, okay, I know who I need to email going forward for this. I know, right. you know. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but so, yeah, I, okay. do, I do try to spend, but sorry, I know we went all around, but I do try to spend nah. Sunday morning and the weekends trying to get into my baby acts, trying to like dig around and see who I can, uh, quote unquote, discover. That's what's up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much music. I feel like I kind of fell off. Or I, I I feel like I fall off and then one day I'll find like a song and then all day I'll yes. be like and then you just in a go. hole mm-hmm. in the rabbit hole mm-hmm. 
Oh my god, it's crazy. I love those um, days. I lose track of time those days, and some people get mad at me for that, but I really do love those days. Those are the best days. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you are you're based in DC, but you're in New York right now, right? Yes, I am. The Rona okay. COVID nineteen hey. has obviously turned all of our words up worlds upside down. So yeah, I'm living in Queens in New York right now. Yeah. yeah. Wow, Queens, what's up? Best food ever I in New know. York. <laughs> I know. I lived in You're Brooklyn like, before, <laughs> and I, I mean, I love Queens because the people I love are in Queens. But yeah, living in, I before when I lived in New York, I was in Brooklyn, and there's no energy like Brooklyn. You know that. I just yeah, love I'm it. Yeah, in It's it's like even during this global pandemic, Brooklyn just like has a the best taste in music like mm-hmm. you're always gonna hear somebody driving by at any time of day mm-hmm. the best is like the 8 a.m like older yep. dudes so wake you drive up. by with mm-hmm. like melissa morgan yes. like blasting yes. or like alicia myers or like yes. any of that stuff yes um, well, totally different. there was uh what i remember one time i was i was actually almost running late for something but i had to get up early that morning and then my next door neighbor just started blasting sarah vaughn i was like okay okay i'm up i'm up all right let's go you know and then also brooklyn is such a good barometer for like what the streets are really feeling you know like i remember during the in 2015 when i was living in brooklyn during the peak of like drake and meek beef when there were all these memes flying all over the place like people in brooklyn we're still playing Meek. I'm like, okay, so he's not like, I don't even think cancel culture was real in 2015, but I was like, okay, he's not done for. He's not cancel, cancel. Come on, <laughs> the streets still fuck with him. So, yeah, oh, it's yeah. always a good yeah. barometer because, like, Brooklyn, I mean, that's just Brooklyn. Like, they'll let you know what they feel. Like, they say it with their chest. I love it. For real, though. That's so, that's so true, man. It's funny because I grew up on hip-hop and living in New York, like, mm-hmm. Not as a student. I mean, I'm still a student of music for sure, but I mean, like, the hip hop mm-hmm. I grew up on is like, it's old now. And mm-hmm. like, now I'm here where like a lot of it is from, and it's just a trip to like, mm-hmm. actually. It's the energy. Yeah. 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 It's a trip. It's a trip to be in here. I mean, it was funny. I'm not funny, but I mean, like, Pop Smoke is like a freaking legend here. I know. I know. Everywhere. But like, when his, 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 um, album, album dropped like yeah. a couple weeks ago or a week yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone was playing pop. i mean people Absolutely. have been playing pop smoke since before you know when he was popping yeah, before he passed tapes. away mm-hmm. it's just like it's just people just drive by i'm like okay I know. yeah <laughs> it absolutely catapulted him for sure for uh, sure i know it's amazing to um, see how his music is living on especially in this time like it's being used as protest music it's being used as like turn up music it's still like the the cookout music in the front of the brownstone i love it yeah yeah, he was so talented, like, mm-hmm. his lyrics and just, like, his, 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 like, the timbre of his voice, just, yep. like, so charismatic. Yep. The grit, like, the gravelly voice, the growl, yeah. and then, yeah. yeah, but then he was, then he oh, could yeah. go smooth with it. It was so good. Yeah. You're originally from Boston. Um, yes. What, what music did you grow up on? Um, yeah, growing up in Boston, I had a lot of musical influences, mostly because, I, I have a small nuclear family, but everybody has such strong opinions and such decisive taste. Like, my mommy's from Jamaica, so she definitely infused us with reggae and soca and bomba and, like, Sounds of the Island super early. Um, mm-hmm. But she also loved 
She also loved um, Louis Armstrong because that's the music her father mm-hmm. loved. And so we mm-hmm. got a lot of a lot of like jazz history from her. Uh, Billie Holiday. I it's so funny like to hear some people like learn about it, Billie Holiday now because I'm like, yo, I felt like Billie Holiday was related to me because my mom just <laughs> talked about her so much. Yeah, she was. Um, so I got a lot of. I got a lot of reggae, but also a lot of like jazz and blues from her. And then my dad was a huge Motown, still is huge Motown fan. And then he also mm. likes um, uh, like rock bands like the Stones. But then he has like an undying crush on Tina Turner. It's so funny, Ooh, right? Okay, dad. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, he married a Jamaican girl, so come on, like he knows. <laughs> Um, and then both of my siblings, I have, I have an older brother and an older sister and my brother was like super, super into hip hop. Like to this day, no matter who I interview, all my brother cares about is, Oh, what about Lloyd Banks? Like, yeah he's oh my god. Yeah. So he likes, he likes the street shit and he, he was big on. G Unit and Fifty and Lloyd Banks. Even now, like he loves Dave East and uh, like yeah, and and Berna and um, who else? I'm trying to think about who who my brother and I were. My brother and I are the ones who argue about the verse battle versus battles and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but then really? my sister what? is sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying, what's the what's the argument? What's like a typical? Well, first of all, the argument is like, why doesn't Lloyd Banks have one already? That's that's oh, number okay. one. <laughs> yeah, but oh, even yeah. even when it was like the Jada and Fab or right, or what was the one where he? Oh my gosh, he's also a class clown, so he was just clowning. Oh, okay. I think it was Teddy Riley and Babyface, which like everybody was clowning, but he was on it. The entire world <laughs> was. Oh, at least we were laughing together, right? We needed that. We needed that. Yeah, so, sure. but yeah, he was clowning during those. Um, and then my sister was very into, I guess, I guess it's like punk pop. I would say, like, like My Chemical Romance, and very much oh, in that okay. vein. So, everybody, like, we would have impassioned debates about, you know, who got to, about who, like, who were quote-unquote icons like what defines icon artists and Mm -hmm. you know my brother would say it's like 50 cent at the time you know this is like early 2000s and then my dad's like uh no michael jackson would have something to say about that you know and then they we always had those debates and there was always us vying for the the tv remote vying for the radio and also one thing i love and it's such a vivid memory to me is that uh, you know, Boston is cold and it would snow a lot. So sometimes when we would have snow days, which I feel like would happen a lot more when we were younger, it was either my mom or my dad that would take the day with us and we would play records. Like we would play records in the snow days and we would just dance in the living room. And I, that's like a memory that I, like looking back, I loved it. But then, I mean, in the moment I loved it. But looking back, I'm like, damn, that's really where my love of music is rooted. It's rooted in family. Mm. It's rooted in dancing. It's rooted in joyous escapism when you got a snow day and you're bored. So I always equated music to to joy and expression and, like I said, dance. And I have a pretty like a pretty sturdy dance background. So a lot sturdy? of the song, well, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I mean, I One don't. One of my favorite words. Sturdy. I don't know. Sturdy don't, is like. 
Ooh, <laughs> you know, can't be moved, right? Like it was such a big part of my life. And I mean, I still love to dance. I don't dance. Uh, I don't take classes as much as I would like to anymore, but mm-hmm. always equating the art form of music to the art form of moving your body and expressing yourself mm. has been something that's like deeply ingrained inside of me. So yeah. So yeah. that, so that's why sometimes even now when I'm like breaking down, breaking down an album or, or finding a way to review a song, I really get in tune with like, how is this making my body feel in this moment? And then that'll like inspire the words for how I communicate it. You know, that's interesting. Yeah. Like are my shoulders moving? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or like, where do I feel this in my body? Like, is it making my, is it making my head tingle? Is it making, yeah, is it making my shoulders move? Is it making my hips move? You know? Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I never really thought about it like that. I mean, even though my body thinks about it like that, like my mind hasn't actually yeah. done that. I just I don't have to use that. I don't have to use that. Yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> Cause it, I mean, it also just centers, it grounds you in your person it grounds you in your body. And then it, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll, you'll get to like the most basic, like primal reaction of why you do or do not love the song. And then that'll guide right. you. So you don't got to phone it in with the words. <laughs> At least sure. that's what I found. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever have like, or do you remember like a moment where you were like, oh shit, this is, this music, <laughs> this is where I belong. This is like my career. Like I need to. Oh, like up. music journalism? Yeah. Like, did you ever have a moment where you're like, oh shit, this is it. Yeah. This is why. <laughs> I, yeah, for, for sure. I, um, yeah. I think it, I think it kind of came late for me, I would say, because I knew, first of all, I knew I always wanted to be a writer. Like I write a lot. Um, that's the way I express myself, even in my own, you know, personal time. I read poetry, I write stories and going through school, like that was always my favorite subject. And then I took a journalism class, like a, like a, I would say like a faux journalism class, like journalism 101, my senior year mm-hmm. of high school. And I was like, okay, I like being a journalist because you get to write, you get to be creative. Um, and then you're always looking for, for like the truth in every situation. So it's like, it's something, it's, it's a profession with integrity, you know, even, even if we live in a time now where like those lines get blurred and like that shit gets called into question a lot. But yeah, at the root, mm-hmm. at the root of it, it's like, you're looking for the truth. You're trying to learn something every day and then you're sharing what you learn. So I was like, yeah, I love that. I love journalism. And then, um, I started doing like, uh, freelance journalism for my local paper and stuff. And then I went to school and I was a journalism major and I went to, I went to Hofstra University on Long Island, and one thing Hofstra pushes a lot, even in the communication school, is, like, you got to intern. You got to, like, you got to, you got to, what's it called? You got to cut your teeth. You got to, you got to see all these different, um, all these different facets of the business. And being so close to New York City, like, there were so many internships. Like, it was, like, they pushed internships and um, networking a lot over there. And so Mm. I did a few internships. I did an internship at, like... At a, at a local newspaper, I did a, I worked at a radio station, I, um, what else, I did an internship at a PR firm, like, just to learn all the different, uh, layers and, like, aspects of the, of the Mm -hmm. business, and then, um, I did an internship at MTV News, Mm. and it's funny, because I never, okay, so I grew up reading, like, music magazines, but I didn't think of 
MTV as like a news source like that. Because right, again, it was more I didn't. Like entertainment. Yeah, it was more like entertainment. Because by the time I was really like consuming and watching MTV news, it wasn't like Kurt Loader breaking news every, you know, busting in right. in between music videos. It was more like reality TV and stuff. So, so I didn't really think of MTV news as a as a as a destination for news, for breaking news, um, especially with with how congested the market was for you know, quote unquote, celebrity news. Um, but then. When I got there, I was interning there, and I and Rob Markman was working there, and I was like, "Wait, I know that name because Rob, Mar- Rob Markman used to work for the magazines that I would read." So I like I knew that byline from the pages, mm-hmm. and then Rob was there, and then Nadeska Alexis was there, and um, through working with the two of them or like helping that, them out with stuff, I was seeing how much even in the even in all the genres that were being covered by MTV. And that's like, you know, they had like MTV pop, MTV style, MTV this. Nadeska mm-hmm. was running the, um, the, the rap fix blog and her stuff was doing so many more numbers. She was working real fast, very efficiently. She was getting exclusives and she was able to break down kind of like the, the flashy news of the day with such great context. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's killing it, you know? So I, yeah. I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot from Rob. Also, um, Rebecca Thomas, who was one of the news editors at the time. And they, and I think I was very, uh, proactive in how I, in how I, um, admired them. Like I was like, do you guys need help with anything? And also I had a natural love of the genre. So right. it, so it wasn't like they needed to over explain stuff to me. Um, I, so taking the initiative, I would, I mean, I remember by the end of it, Nadeska was like letting me interview people. I think she, Mm. who who did I interview? I think I interviewed like Gangsta Boo and LeChat and I was like, yo, (laughs) I got an interview with a rapper. And I was so hyped up. (laughs) It was so funny because those moments, like it was probably something, I mean, Loki is probably something Nadeska had on her plate that she maybe didn't want to do. So she was like, let this, let the intern do it. But I yeah. was like all about it. I was all in and I was like transcribing so deliberately and, and trying to find like the best intro possible. And you know, like those, those small wins are the ones that you remember most. Cause it's like the first yeah. and you put your yeah. all into it. Yeah. So after just getting, um, like, like matching my love for music and my love for, uh, creative writing and journalism in that mm-hmm. space, I was like, okay, I can make a real career out of this. Cause one thing mm-hmm. they do tell you in journalism school, J school is like, you're going to have long hours. You're going to, you know, uh, you're going to lose a lot of sleep. You're going to be working where this is a deadline driven business. And you know what? Right. You're probably not going to make a lot of money. Like they say that off rip. Right. And right. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So you making me pay to take this class to tell me I'm not going to make money. <laughs> cool. Okay. But, um, it was funny in that moment when I, when I really saw my, my potential being recognized and my passions being, legitimized in this way i was like okay so i can marry these two things together let's go i can do it step on the gas this is a real future this is a viable this is a viable place for me i have a roadmap here so i'm really thankful i mean even now when people ask me about 
about like what was the internship that was most impactful for to me or who pe- who are people that have been most impactful in the music industry to me like I I let them know like it was MTV it was Rob it was Nadeska and it was Rebecca for sure and like it, I I will never I will never not sing their praises because of that cuz they saw something in me you know yeah that's yeah. cuz you're dope dude <laughs> <laughs> you're kind I mean- thank you <laughs> After you interned with MTV, you went on to, I know you worked at Nylon for a bit, or I think you were freelancing there. You worked at Double XL. You like built like mm-hmm. some serious stuff there. Like, t- mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that journey and then how you got to NPR. After a couple internship rounds at MTV News and MTV, I tried to get a job at Viacom after I graduated. And I, and I thought I was like, I, I didn't want to be cocky, but I was like, okay, I I got connects there. I can do this, you know, <laughs> and it never panned out. Like I was going to be a PA on a show at one point, And then the show was get, getting ready to getting ready to start. And then they call me a week before they're like, actually, this show has been shelved. I was like, okay, great. Yeah, but there were no, I know, I know. Cause it, I mean, and also just the way the, the industry moves like that. I realized like that happens so often. I'm like the oh, show yeah. will, the show will be like, greenlit for a pilot and then they do a pilot and then they're like okay let's do production and then two weeks into it they're like oh we need to move funds around it's shelved so i can't even imagine how many how many shows are shelved right now in there but um but yeah so it wasn't meant to be and also i i realized looking back that it would have been it would have been great for the moment but it would have put me on a track that i didn't necessarily want to be on you know because it was a PA work and I don't want to be um I didn't want to be a production assistant or um a producer in the in that sense but um so I did take a job at um Fox News for a while because Mm -hmm. it was paying it was uh, a quote-unquote apprenticeship so they were supposed to guide you through the through the ropes of you know, the hard news tracked and, right, right, right. but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for that time because it did teach me a lot. It taught, it taught me a lot about <clears throat> disseminating news and what voices are and are not credible and ways that news can be mangled and, and mm-hmm. it can be twisted to mean other things. And, you know, this is before the time when we had the term fake news and stuff. So it, it, right. it, it definitely upped my game and like what is news and what is not like what, what rises to the occasion of news and what doesn't. Right. And also it was my first job out of school. And so I learned things that they don't teach you in school, like office culture, stuff like right. that. Um, Fox news. I bet that was interesting. It was, I mean, I was not there very long, but I learned yeah. a lot in a short amount of time. I, I don't sure. need two. I think it was two or three months. Uh, and then, okay. yeah. And then so in and out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you, you got to take what you learn and then you got to be like, okay, this, I, this is, it served me for this time. I got to move. And then yeah. I, I did something really scary and I left Fox news and I had, I kind of like went back to the drawing board and I, and that was, and I'm saying it's scary because I was like fresh out of school, living in a sublet, trying to get my first apartment in New York and, mm-hmm. 
you know, not having a job. And I was like, damn, why did I do mm-hmm. that? But I'm like, no, because I got to get on the track that I want to be on. And I want to be a music writer. I want to be uh, a music journalist. I know that. So I kept kind of like banging on doors at Viacom. And somebody who who worked at MTV, she had a colleague who was leaving MTV for People's Choice Awards. And so she mm-hmm. linked me up with that person. That person started giving me um, freelance like clips, just uh, just to be just to be a news writer. So I would work remote, and I was a news writer for People's Choice for a while. Then I started showing more initiative. So I did a couple red carpet um, events for People's Choice. Forgive me if it's if I'm remembering it wrong because so much stuff was happening at the same time that I. Like, the timelines go together. But I started yeah. People's Choice, and then I would do People's Choice stuff. And then um, my... Um, well, so were you working, like, red carpet at, like, the awards, doing coverage? Not, like, not like major award shows, but more like um, pressers for a new season of The Walking Dead or something like that. Wow, that's it. So you got, like, super <clears throat> entertainment training... Yeah, and it was hard. Like a red yeah. carpet, a red carpet will humble your ass. Like, you're like hustling, you to got get yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're hustling, and you're trying to you're trying to catch their attention. And I'm I'm a small person, so people would be like throwing <laughs> elbows, and I'd I'd have to like step out onto the carpet to get them to speak to me. So I have, I know it. I know it looks like maybe glitzy and fun and glamorous to do mm-hmm. a red carpet, but I've been there, and I know it's not like that. It's like you gotta really push for every question every 30 seconds and half the time when you're asking the question you can't even hear the response because there's so much stuff <laughs> happening around you oh so gosh, yeah so i did red carpets for walking dead um pretty little liars i remember that mm-hmm. uh the mindy project like show okay. premiere like show premieres when it was sure. the new season and they wanted to do and they want to get clips about like what people could expect in the new season and stuff um yeah. Yeah, and I did a few press junkets. I'm trying to think of the shows now. A lot of shows for like CW and Fox and stuff like that. Got it, got it. Yeah, okay. yeah, like like the basic cable type of uh, dramas and comedies. But it was it was fun. It was cool, and again, a learning experience. And even though that's not where I wanted to be ultimately, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it because right, right, everything I can do, I can like glean a lesson from it and. Uh, number two, like rent is due. Okay, I need it. I need. <laughs> I need to get this check. Like also money. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I remember clips. I that's think. a. That's a tough. That's like actually something that I've always had trouble with. It's like what. I think a lot of people do. Just like you know. The making the choice between the work that you do that you love that maybe doesn't pay versus yep. For sure. Whatever work you have to do to pay the bills and then like how those two intersect and mm-hmm. your ego and then also like your, your rents due. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a juggle. Cause you like, you know, and in, in almost every business model, like there's always going to be some piece of your business that you just don't really, Absolutely. it's not your favorite, it's Absolutely. not your favorite, mm-hmm. but it's your bread and butter, you know? So I don't know. I've always, I'm in a better, I'm in, I'm in a good place with it now, but when I was like, first getting started with stuff I'm like I only want to do what I love and yeah my, my my parents are like that's not realistic and I'm yeah like, whatever I'm a millennial <laughs> <laughs> exactly I remember when I first started people's choice I was like well I really love hip-hop and R&B and then the person assigned me um a Taylor Swift album 
yeah, like announcement. And I, I despise Taylor Swift. I hate her. <laughs> like I don't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't hate her. I don't hate anybody. Hate is too strong a word. Right, I right. do not see. I I don't like her. I don't like her music, and I don't identify <laughs> with her as a as a person or as an artist or any type of way. But right. the rent was due, and Taylor Yo, Swift and Taylor Swift uh, clips were getting a lot more hits and a lot more views than a than a clip about yeah. I don't know like Remy Ma. So you right, really had to right. so you had to pick your battles. Yeah. So I have I do have a few bylines out there that I'm like okay. I mean I can write I can tailor my voice and. I can, you know, tailor my pen to get the information out as much as you need, even if it's not like my exact passion. But yeah, there are a couple bylines that I'm like, eh, whatever, whatever. It's, I need But you always learn. Yeah, you, exactly. You always learn. That's what I, that's what I really, uh, prioritize. I'm like, just give me a lesson. Like, Mm. even if it's just going (laughs) to help me practice article structure. Yeah, I'll do the tailor. No, but can I get a lesson or not? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like just give me. I can. I, most of the times, I would have to make a lesson out of myself because a lot of people don't care. They're like, uh, just do it, you know. But yeah. yeah, but I was doing a lot of freelance stuff and doing a lot of things in tandem. I remember I was working at People's Choice, doing a lot of freelance articles. I would get assigned articles in the morning, and I would, I would get my get my bylines in. I would get my work done, and then I would run to the laundromat, wash. <laughs> like my inner quote unquote, like my interview clothes, like cute interview clothes. So it would be crispy for when I went to these interviews and then I would take the train to the city and, um, do interviews all afternoon. And it was, it was for real a hustle. And I, and I, what's that saying? It's like, trust your struggle, trust that hustle. Yeah. Like it really was like a lot of, uh, a lot of sleepless nights because I would do like late night shifts too. Like I would work in the morning and work at yep. night and then go in the interview yep. and then do laundry, go in the interviews in the afternoon. Girl, you don't even. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know, you know, cause like everybody, you know. it's so funny. Cause I think in the age of social media, a lot of people coming up now, like a lot of younger people think that we've just, you know, popped out and became this, became who we are. I'm like, no, I struggle. I was yeah. on the struggle bus for a long time. I mean, depending like, on the day, I'm still on the struggle bus. In the studio at night. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so right. how did you get so how did you get to NPR? So my job at Double XL, I got through uh one of my former intern supervisors named Dara Adeo. Dara Adeo used to work at Cosmopolitan and Cosmopolitan was one of my internships back in, you know, even before MTV news, like one of my first internships. (laughs) More. (laughs) Yeah. And I just stayed connected with her because she was, um, she was a woman who was overseeing me. She was a black woman. She was a black woman in a primarily white space and she was funny as hell. And she always, you know, she was a little bit cynical, but always like, like someone to uplift you. And I don't know, I just always appreciated having her energy around and I, and I learned a lot from her. So she helped me get the job as an, a part-time editorial assistant at XXL. And then that part-time gig became a full-time gig. And then, um, editor, editorial assistant moved to assistant editor. And then in 2017, like a lot of, um, like a lot of things changed in my life very rapidly in my personal mm-hmm. life. And so I had to, I had to leave New York and oh. for a while. Yeah. And for a while it was like, I didn't know if I was going to go to Boston or going to, 
um, I'm going to go to Delaware or go to DC because I have family in those places. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had to go to DC and yeah. I was like, okay, I need to find a job very quickly. <laughs> oh, you were already in DC. Well, they, well, they, they were, it was again, it was like timelines colliding because right, 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 right. NPR was like, I was talking to NPR. I was applying for a few jobs, but I was talking to NPR. And at first, like, to be real, I didn't know if I could find my home at NPR because NPR is not really, it wasn't a destination known for hip hop and R&B like that. And I'm like, do I want to move somewhere where it's like, they don't have any skin in the game in terms of, in terms of music media or, you know, hip hop media, R&B media, or do I want to go in somewhere where it's it's literally like big fish, small pond or vice versa. Right. Right, And And then I had to just go to DC. So I was just like, okay, yes, I'll do it. I'll just do it. Um, and I, I was super cautious because NPR is nothing like I had ever worked in before. Like if you go to the HQ in DC, it's a mm-hmm. six story building and everybody in there is like a news hound and everybody is like mm-hmm. about their, like, like, because NPR has so many, um, smaller member stations, affiliate stations around the country that mm-hmm. a lot of those affiliate stations are trying to feed through NPR. And a lot of those individual people who are trying to work in, in radio, especially, they're trying to like get to the mothership. They're trying to get to HQ. And so right. people revere it as like the holy grail, especially in DC, because, um, there's like Washington Post. I know Vox has a, has a, um, I know Vox has an office out there, Smithsonian, Mm -hmm. but then NPR is like one of the big ones out there. Right, right. Yeah. So going there, I was, I was pretty cautious and I was pretty, I mean, I'm not afraid to say it now. I was overwhelmed and, and I present myself to be cool, calm and collected, but no lie. I, and my manager (laughs) can attest, I spilled coffee on myself the first day because I was just like, holy shit. That's so cute. I mean, it's cute now, but it ruined my shoes. (laughs) No. What shoes were they It did. They were the, um, the Pharrell tennis HUs and they were so nice and white and like, I wanted to. Your shoe game is so fire. Thank you. Thank you. I I mean, it's not really me. Loki is Mimi. It's Mimi from BBC who holds me down all the time. She like keeps me. And then my partner everyone is got like your a, sources, you know, everyone's yeah. got sources. And also my partner is a huge sneakerhead and a bait head. Oh, so, okay, okay. you know, uh, it kind of rubs off, but, but anyway, but no, but I, but going to NPR, I knew, I knew that I would be able to make a space for myself. That's the one thing I did know that mm. reassured me because like I said, there's, they weren't really known as a, as a destination for hip hop and R and B coverage. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like the R and B that they did showcase at the time. And this is no shade to them. It was, but it was like one type of hip hop. It right. was, you know, what I, they would, what would you call like conscious? <laughs> well, it was like what you would call conscious hip hop, you know, yeah, like backpacker shit. <clears throat> yes. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, and like, even like a sliver of backpack rap only, you know? Yeah. yeah, Um, I think the only, I think the only place where there was ever kind of like a diversified hip hop sound or, or representation was on microphone check with Franny Kelly. Oh my God. Franny is like such an amazing journalist. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that was pretty much the only thing on NPR that was like in that vein. Right. Especially when it came to championing new young artists, which is what Mm -hmm. I'm all about. Like I love, I mean, the, the interview with, um, 
I don't know, the, the, the high profile interview with like Gucci Mane or, or 50 Cent or like one of the, one of the already cemented stars is great, but I love interviewing right. an artist when it's like their first or second or third interview ever because yeah. that's when they're like real with you. That's when, yeah. that's when you really get to the heart of why, what motivates them to make music. Um, what, what is their like, protagonist in their music what is the antagonistic um variables in their music that's when they're like the most i i don't want to say the most honest because i've i've interviewed some i guess like higher profile people who've been very honest but it's like they're the most they're the most like happy to be there they're the most happy to talk yeah. you know it's like pure it's yeah like a pure exactly you got know you know yeah and and also you can they can look back you know, when they do blow up, if and when they can look back at that interview and like, they can track their own progress. And like, Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll still like, remember you, you know, and they're like, yo, you gave me my first interview. And it's, it's a nice feeling to help, help an artist like get their message out there. I'll say, especially the, especially when they're new. So that was a big thing that I really pushed for when I came to NPR. And, um, Mm -hmm. Whether and that be seems like it's been working pretty well. <laughs> I mean, some some days, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. So I came on as an editor. So what part of my job was to part of my job was to uh, digitize when uh, music news or an artist does an interview with one of our marquee shows, which is all things considered morning edition or the Mm. weekend, the weekend counterparts of those shows. And so Mm. say it was like, um, and sometimes it would be an artist way, way out of my purview, but I just had to learn who they were super quickly. And then, and then, you know, make the best uh, edited version of the digital story is possible. So I'm trying to think of, yeah. So one thing I will say is, uh, coming to NPR music, it definitely diversified my palette. Like there are some artists that I know now and that I will check for that I never used to listen to like Mm -hmm. boy genius, which is Phoebe Mm. Bridgers, uh, Julian Baker and, and Lucy, Lucy Dacus. Like they're the trio that they, they're each, you know, they each have their own respective careers. But when they formed Boy Genius, I was like, okay, all right, I fuck with them. And then, um, who else have I started to get into more? Like Mitski. I never, I mm. never would have checked for Mitski if it hadn't been for NPR Music and if it hadn't been for my colleagues who were like so vocal about her and what she represents in her respective genre. So yeah, it's been, it's been, a steep learning curve, but <laughs> then, but again, I'm always about, I'm always about challenging myself. I'm always about challenging norms. I'm always about pushing artists who you wouldn't normally think of as a quote unquote hip hop star or R and B star or pop star. And even coming to NPR, even though my job was to work on those digital builds, I, I guess I, I guess I'm like an overachiever because I'm like, that's not all I'm going to do. So I started producing <laughs> tiny desks and I started pushing to do more reported pieces on air. And, and yeah, I've been able to parlay it into some really great moments for younger artists and really great moments yeah. of synergy for the culture, you know, like talking about the, the, the music selection on insecure is something that NPR music wouldn't have normally done, but we worked really hard on it. And so that interview moment was really great. Or, or, um, 
shadowing an artist who's literally like, who I would say a couple years ago was a virtual unknown in the R&B space and shadowing her for a year while she works on her debut album that she's releasing independently and just just like putting that belief in an artist because you know like mm. to to greenlight a feature like that you got to believe in the artist and so pushing yeah. pushing narratives on NPR has been a pushing new narratives pushing narratives you wouldn't normally see on NPR has been a big mm-hmm. thing for me like even when it was even when Beyonce headlined Coachella like yeah the story was that Number one, Beyonce is headlining Coachella. Number two, she's the first black woman to do it. But then when you look down the the poster, you look down the roster, I'm like, wow, there's more women of color on this on this mm. stage, on the festival stage. And, you know, Coachella being the premier festival stage, the kind that, like, sets the tone for the rest of the festival season. I'm like, there's more women of color this year than any other year in mm. in their, what, are they almost at 20 years now? Yeah, like, no, I think this was, I mean, this was supposed to be the 20th year, right? Uh, So even just to look for those patterns and those trends and those changes in the industry and and bring that to the forefront, that's been a big initiative for me and a big challenge um, for me personally that I've been trying to always push. And yeah, like I said, even at Tiny Desk, change what a quote-unquote tiny desk artist is like there are obviously parameters of tiny desk like you can't have there there's no voice modification there's no auto-tune allowed um Mm -hmm. live instrumentation is always prioritized any way they can so a, a lot of times that Either whether before my time, whether it scared off a hip hop artist or whether people Mm. just didn't think a hip hop artist could shine in that space. Like there weren't as many hip hop acts, especially with not the, um, the schedule in the, in the normalcy that there are now. So yeah, we've had, we've had Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib. We've had, uh, we have had Megan the Stallion. We've had, um, we've had No Name, Saba, uh, Boz. Who are some other ones? Some other artists that you wouldn't, you know, typically consider a quote unquote like mm-hmm. tiny desk artist. But I think with, I think with broadening the spectrum of what we consider a tiny desk artist, we've been able to showcase a lot more talent and turn a lot more fans onto these acts that we really believe in and that we're passionate about. And like, that's, that's the big thing for me. Like putting someone on to an artist that I know you're going to love all you need is the chance to hear them. Like that's a big thing for me always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I just went on yeah. for so long. You, I'm no, sorry. You, you, <laughs> well, can you make us a playlist? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. And then I do, we, I did start doing a playlist for NPR. It's called heat tech. I'm actually on hiatus on it right now. Just I know that's of, why I'm asking for a current mood. Playlist yeah, current. <laughs> I'm Yo, I could do it. Go ahead. I could you, do it. I mean, we, we should collaborate so on it because you put me on to so much stuff all the time. So we could collaborate uh. on one. We should. Okay, we could do we could uh collab collab in a playlist and do it. Yeah. <laughs> Super into That's it. That's like the love language now. It's like, oh, let's collab on a playlist. Oh my god. Like, that replaced the mixtape, right? Like you remember? No. Oh yeah, back <laughs> in the, the day, like, CD. oh I made you a, or I made you like a C D. Yes. Oh what? Yes. You made me a CD? Mm-hmm. Shut up. You know it's um, real when they make you a CD and then they put they decorate it with the Sharpies. Yo, honestly, I miss that. I What's do the too. Deal? I do Where? too. Because you know what? That's <laughs> effort, chivalry. and that's real time. Exactly, chivalry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about 
So you mentioned, you know, getting into this the building of NPR and it being like overwhelming and like yeah. even intimidating at times. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Like I've been I've been in situations like that where, you know, you just have you like felt you- like that at Forbes? Sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut in, but have you do you have you no. felt like that in Forbes? Yeah, like when I pitched my first I freelance cold pitched my editor at Forbes that I didn't know um and I had an exclusive a De La Soul exclusive about their negotiations. I remember. Them. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first that was your first piece with them, right? Yeah, that was my first piece and I hit up the editor and he was like, "Oh yeah, this is cool like I'll, we can do this story, but we're actually looking for people to contribute regularly. And I was like, what? Right. <laughs> and I was like, like, you want me to contribute to Forbes? Are you exactly. sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? But then, you know, then you get in the door and you're like, oh, like, you actually really need this perspective yes. because you don't have it. And you yes. don't have access to it. Yeah. So I think the value in, you know, like a niche perspective or kind of, you know, more of like what's happening on the street level, a lot yeah. of bigger organizations are, are, are grappling with and, you know, coming to terms with and even making changes. For um, sure. Like at an organization like NPR, which in my mind is like the holy grail of music news and like honest music news and honest oh. just cultural news. Like how has it felt like fitting your personal energy like into those spaces? Um, It's, my personal energy. I mean, it comes in waves. Like your identity and like who you are. Yeah. Like how, how have you like yeah. into those spaces or made yeah. your own place in them? Well, like I said, it was, a, it was definitely a shock and a, and a totally different atmosphere because going from double XL, everybody knows about hip hop. We talk about hip hop all day long. We debate hip hop all day long. We're all listening to the same things. We, you know, the morning meeting is all about like what we were listening to on the train and what, like, like you said, what is word on the street? Like what is mm-hmm. happening? Cause we're all 10 toes down in it. Like we love it. We consume it. It's our lives. It's our mm-hmm. politics. It's our, it's our mm-hmm. therapy, you know? So going from that to, to a space where either people, um, either people didn't know as much about hip hop or, or kind of like disregard hip hop or like the, the validity of it sometimes Mm -hmm. it's it. I've had to, I've had to learn for sure how to stand real tall and be very steadfast in my opinions and my curation and what I feel is the strength and solace of hip hop. Um, and, I mean, and R&B, but I'll just say, especially for hip hop coming from XXL to NPR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I mean, I'm a big, it's going to sound so corny, but I'm like, I'm a mantra person. So I had mm-hmm. to, I, I, there were times when we would be in a meeting and people would be talking about artist A and I, and that is not my genre of expertise. So everybody is gushing about this artist. And then I start talking about, Cardi B or City Girls, and then I mm-hmm. start gushing about Cardi B or City Girls, and then nobody gets it. Like sometimes it would be blank faces, not all the time, but sometimes. And then I would, or I would pitch something, and sometimes it wouldn't be. I would have to over-explain what is something that felt so natural to me, like a thread mm-hmm. that I'm seeing in 
in the hip hop labels right now or the industry is something that needs to be over explained to a different editor because they don't necessarily think it's going to fit within the 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 news of NPR music. Um, and I just had to, I always remind myself like, and I say this to every, I mean, there, there are a lot of, uh, young people who ask me, like a lot of the interns in the building would ask me for advice and stuff, especially cause I, I guess I'm perceived as one of the younger people in the building cause I love hip hop and R and B so much, you know, mm-hmm. but I always, and I remind myself and I remind them like, no matter what, no matter what, don't forget that your voice is necessary and it's valid and it's urgent. Like, mm-hmm. like don't let anybody dis- disqualify or discredit your voice because mm-hmm. they have no right to do so because your voice is something that you made yourself. And, and, you know, quote unquote, finding your voice is a very personal thing, especially for a creative person as, as for a writer, whether you're, whether you're writing a song or writing poetry or writing ad copy or writing an article, like finding your voice is, is such a, intrinsic internal experience so nobody can say and 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 it's like you got to do it for yourself and with yourself so nobody can tell you what it is so nobody can tell you if it's good or bad or 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 you know they can they can they can um critique your structure they can critique the grammar they cannot critique your voice your voice Mm. is yours and i say this too like Okay, you may not be an expert in everything, but you're an expert in your own experience, okay? Because nobody has lived the life you live. So don't let anybody take that away from you or try to take that away from you. Working in spaces where I am sometimes the only woman, sometimes the only woman of color, sometimes the only black woman, sometimes the only young black woman, I've had to really check in with myself and remember like, yo, your voice is so needed here. It's something that they need. And Mm -hmm. so don't forget that, that the validity of your perspective, because nobody has that. And like, that's your power. Yo, I need a t-shirt with all of that on it. The entire For real. No, for real. Like (laughs) I want to say like the whole first year I was there, I would say it in myself. I would say it to myself in the mirror in the morning. I'm like, your voice is valid. Your voice is needed here. Don't forget that. Mm -hmm. Like I would say that to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when you're in, when you're in, you know, when you got into NPR and even when you've been in other spaces where you were um, not of the majority, like how do you kind of, you know, practice like your self-care and and your mantras and stuff like when you're in the midst and, and inside of these environments? Um. Well, one thing I've noticed more in working in like the office structure mm-hmm. in corporate America mm-hmm. is um, it, a lot of people are timid and I am not a timid person. I'm a pretty direct <laughs> person. And so I, th- I really believe that corporate America fosters passive aggressive behavior like, mm, like, you know how, yeah, I mean, sure. even, even in email culture, like, oh, um, per my last email or, 
Uh, what's what's some other email jargon that I don't I truly Yo, do not say? Circling back, bro. Oh my god, circling back. Just circling yeah. back. Oh oh, or you know what? Or you know what? I love when people say it because I know what it means. I know like the context for it. But when people be like. I'm not getting clarity on this. Please advise. When they say please advise, oh. I'm like, yo. But I please I, advise. That's please a phone call at that point. Exactly. Ooh, or let's take this offline. Right. This whole email culture and Slack culture and stuff it fosters passive aggressive behavior and it fosters all of this weird oh. jargon. So you got to say please advise rather than miss me with that shit. You know. And I <laughs> and I am yo. not someone who says please advise in an email or. Or um, per my last email, I say, what's good? What's up? What's the word on this? Hey, is this going to exactly. happen? Be real with me. Yeah. I say that. I say that in an email. And some people right. appreciate that, that directness and some people are intimidated by that directness. I have I, one time somebody said like, oh, my God, you're so scary. I love it. And I'm like, I'm not scary. I'm just persistent. Scary. I'm direct. I'm I'm yeah. persistent and direct. And you know what? It's I'm effective. Mean- and it is and you get just, I just got my answer didn't I right yeah like you get your answer yeah. if you ask the real question that you want to ask not the tiptoe around type of shit and so I hate when we go in yeah. meetings and it's like tiptoeing around the real question or the real right. dilemma or trying not making the action plan getting out of the meeting like I hate leaving a meeting and not knowing what was the resolution or not knowing like what was the plan of action. So when I I go, yeah, like I'm, and maybe that's just my type A or maybe that's just, like I said, like I am not, I'm not into fostering indecision and fostering passive aggressiveness. One thing I did learn from a little like brown bag lunch with someone who talked about office culture is women. I mean, and you know this, I think everybody knows this is like women use so many exclamation points in their emails because they don't want to seem like too harsh. Right. And women Mm. (laughs) and women tend to say sorry a lot in emails. Mm. So that's those are two things that I like excommunicated from the my email etiquette. Like I do not say I do not say sorry. I say Thank you for your patience with me. Yo, I read that I said, somewhere and I do the same thing yeah. now. I don't know where I read that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, because sometimes I am, I am not the fastest person to follow up on email. And anybody who does email with me or is even close in my life knows, like, I'm not even the fastest text back person sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just, we all have a lot going on. And I think if you just acknowledge that, that, you were you were a little late with your response but you acknowledge that someone was patient with you in there like that gives them that i mean it keeps the onus on you to keep the communication going but it also acknowledges like their humanity in that moment so it's like thank you for your patience with me thank you thank you for acknowledging my work schedule or or my timeline for this and then um sometimes if it's like really late i will say like apologies on the delay or something and i and i never and i really i really truly do not i am not a big like exclamation point user in my emails i think i will use one at most and Mm. i have to know you to use it (laughs) like (laughs) i'll be like hi jack just to get back to your original question when i'm in those spaces and some people have already you know mentally shut off or like they're not listening to me i'm like that's okay because it's not for you like i know who it's for i know who i'm writing for who i'm producing this tiny desk for who i'm Mm -hmm. making this report for um who i'm pushing this artist for and Mm -hmm. and 
I, I am my demographic and, um, mm. with hip hop and R and B being the most consumed, most digested, most, uh, most toured genre in America for the last few years, like I may be, I may be the, the minority in this room, but I know I'm the majority in the consumer base, you know? And I, mm. and I, I just try to stay true to who I am doing it for, which is like, I am my own demographic and I'm doing it for the other black and brown women who want to hear this artist. I'm doing it for the other, um, the other people in my community who are talking about the, this music in their group chats and want to see this artist get more light and get more shine. Like I always remember who I'm doing it for. So when the eyes glaze over in the corporate meeting, I'm like, <laughs> it's okay. Cause it's not for you. It's fine. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I still just okay. deliver my message directly and I deliver it for whoever is listening and I right. keep it pushing. How do you, navigate the progress in those situations like what does the win look like uh yeah i've been told by my friends before that i don't celebrate my wins enough because i can't identify them as wins until they're in the rear view sometimes um and i forget where i heard this or read it maybe it was maybe it was a self-help book or maybe it was like twitter or wherever but i'm i always think like don't don't let every win get to your head and don't let every loss get to your heart, right? Cuz mm. it's like your your own I mean, you can you can have a win and then but then you got to keep going with it. It's about consistency. Yeah. It's about it's about momentum in music yeah. in and in life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so I mean, I guess some big wins that I have had and I'm using the air quotes the wins that I have had <laughs> have been things that I've been able to share with people and then they've been able to identify it as a win I'm like oh yeah this was a win you know so things mm-hmm. like things like the Megan Thee Stallion tiny desk it took a long time to get that tiny desk like to pitch it to mm-hmm. uh get it greenlit the production of it um the clearances the the wow. collaboration and communication it took a very very long time and then it was part of something we did called Tiny Desk Fest to celebrate an anniversary of Tiny Desk and so each night of the Tiny Desk Fest was one marquee artist and then they did a Tiny Desk for a paying crowd which is something we've never done before because that Tiny Desks so are cool. usually yeah it was fun it was cool i mean it was fun like I said, it was fun. Looking back on it, it was fun in the rear view. In the moment, it was high, <laughs> high stress. <laughs> but yeah. um, it was a paying audience, and it was also live streamed. And then after they do the tininess, they did an interview. And I, I was talking to her. I was We did the interview together. And I was... I was realizing what she was, cause I was following her career pretty, um, pretty acutely. And I was realizing some of the things she was saying are things that she's never said before. But in the mm. moment, I was just like, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So you are going to share, you are going to share your new alter ego on your next tape. Okay. What is your alter ego? Okay. What do you want to do with your degree once you get it? But what? And she was saying things that she'd never said before. And, mm. you know, like, 20 minutes after the interview was over. No, maybe not 20 minutes, maybe like five, 10 minutes. Um, the publicist was like, damn, Megan has never said that many exclusives <laughs> in one interview. And I'm like, Oh really? And like, I knew it was an exclusive, but I wasn't like, yes, an exclusive type of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, I don't, yeah. sometimes I don't realize that I should be celebrating a moment till it's in the rear view. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the but like I said, Tiny Desk Fest was a huge like collaborative process. So it was a shared win. So that's why it was good that uh, our team had it. Or things mm-hmm. like even the even the Issa Rae and Kira Lehman Instagram lives recently. We talked about music curation on Insecure and how Insecure has really become the social barometer for a lot of music that is coming because. Mm-hmm. The evolution yeah, on the show, it yeah. used to be like, it used to be big, big West Coast artists, but, but as the show has progressed, Issa has taken more initiative to highlight and champion young artists, black artists, women artists. Yep. So yep. that really shows that growth and creation has, has really been very evident. So that's what we wanted to talk about. And even that, like, it was really cool the Instagram live, but. I was stressing in the moment because <laughs> really? I'm, I'm not really big. I don't know how to do Instagram live like that. And also, you it killed was, it. Thank you. Were you. Total natural. Thank I was you like, so much. I would be so nervous. She doesn't even look nervous. <laughs> I, oh, I was I was sweating in my little jumpsuit. Trust me. But but the conversation was good. And and after the fact, like other other publications picked it up and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes I, like I said, I don't realize my wins until somebody points it out to me or it's in the rear right. view. But when they do come, like they're not every day. And, and I think a lot of people, like I said before, with social media, people only see the end result. They don't see right. the weeks of emails and phone calls and, you know, <laughs> quote unquote, yeah. taking it offline and like the right. snarkiness and the back and forth and the compromise and the collaboration. Yeah. They see the end result, which is great because that's what you want them to see, but they don't take into account the hard work. So And the like, can you send me this uh, JPEG at these dimensions, please? Exactly. After all that. Exactly. <laughs> like the stupid shit like that. Yeah. And it's like, um, can you extend the social clip by five seconds and put this oh logo God. here thanks and they're like that's a small it's a it's a quick question but that's a that's a that's a whole another uh batch of work for somebody so i'm like oh okay sure cool yeah, cool cool yeah. yeah i mean all those little last minute things there there are things that i feel you know as a music journalist too like you come to chase those moments like you chase that high mm-hmm. of those moments but sometimes i don't realize them to be yeah. honest yeah yeah I mean, what do you feel like your personal storytelling mission is? My storytelling mission. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I know it's pretty. It's, it's a lot, huh? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a heavy question. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, when you think about telling stories in different, you know, through poetry, through music writing, through you know, producing a, even you know, helping to produce a tiny desk or yeah, whatever story yeah. you're putting together, like, what's the through line for you? Like, why do you do it? to have people be heard and to and to give them a space to speak their truth you know whether mm-hmm. no matter what art form they choose to do it through like whether they can't find the words in person so they put it in a song or or they create a visual piece of art or they or they create a dance or a poem about it i mean i work in the i work in the music space so yeah it's definitely about giving people who wouldn't normally be considered in certain spaces, give them the space Mm -hmm. to be heard and to tell their truth. Um, Like I said at the top of this, like the thing I love most about journalism in general at its core, it's about learning the truth and then disseminating it. It's about sharing the truth, sharing what you learn. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. for holding people accountable and it's for, 
It's for exploring the what ifs, the alternatives mm -hmm. to the way things are. And it's for, it's for championing truth. So I feel like in music journalism, I want to give artists who are genuine and authentic the proper space to share that with, especially with people that normally wouldn't hear them, like normally wouldn't be on the radar of some audiences, mm -hmm. you know, like carving out that space is super important to me. And because I know for the artists that I choose to work with, I feel, I know how much work they put into their music and to put into, like I said, finding their voice, finding their own story and sharing their own story. Uh, all of that is super scary. You know, it's really scary. Like if you think about, for example, there's one artist that I love and, and I profiled her and we put her on tiny desk. Her name is Ravina and mm -hmm. she's a South Asian artist. She works in the R and B space. Um, and her music is, uh, some people, I mean, some people describe it as like very touchy feely, floaty. It's like, it's very light R&B. But then when you mm -hmm. hear her voice, there's so much control and power in her voice. And then when you, when you break down what she's saying, like a lot of her first album was about overcoming a sexual assault. And so there's so much power in, in, in the progression of her album because it's about her slow, like, the assault is not the main thing. It's getting back her strength. That's the main message mm -hmm. of the album, you know, and that, and that flips the power dy dynamic because mm -hmm. you don't want, cause sometimes people see, let's say the assault as the climactic moment and then everything else is after. She's like, no, the assault is not the climactic moment. Me getting back to who I am and loving myself as a whole person. That's the climactic moment. Like that's the win of this. So, uh, giving oh, an artist, I know it's a great, it's a great <laughs> album. It's a great album. And that's why I, I was like, yo, we need to do everything. I need to do everything I can to like push this because she didn't have a big machine behind her at the time. Like she is, she has solid management and solid PR, but she's not one of those people who's like, I'm getting bombarded press releases about, you know? So I'm like, I want to champion a voice who is really doing something and saying something with authenticity in their music and, and telling their truth. I think that's super important because I mean, R&B and hip hop, it wasn't always regarded as like highbrow, um, upper echelon art forms, right? So, so people's narratives in it were not regarded as such, right? They weren't regarded with such care and dignity. So I really feel like it's important to give people, to give artists their space to do that now, you know? We're just yeah. getting to the point where people are seeing that hip hop has been is protest music. Is that synonymous? Right. I'm just like, yo, hip hop at its core has always been protest music. Whether you're talking about like, I don't know, um, um, emo rap or trap or conscious rap, like whether you're, whether there's someone's rapping about, uh, the, the shit that's happening on their street corner or like some nihilistic, uh, idea of like making it out the hood and stuff. It's like, it's all protest music at its core. And it's all like, I mean, this gets into the podcast that I'm working on right now, but yeah, like people are just now getting to getting hip to the through lines that are so mm. like th that they, that they come so naturally to us, you know, like covering this. So I want to give 
as much space and as much um, sense of place to these art forms and to these artists that I can and do it with, always do it with integrity. Right. And I think you have succeeded <laughs> and will Thank continue you. to do so. I'm trying. I'm trying. I think- Again, I have to remind <laughs> myself all the time to do it like that because you can get bogged down with the bullshit super easy. Yeah. I mean, having integrity is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, where we are right now in terms of the entire world, integrity uh-huh. is something maybe hard to come by. Oh, yeah. Um, and like people and people think they can rewrite the rules of journalism. And I'm like, OK, oh, wow. there I mean, in terms of um, things like implicit bias and cultural bias and stuff like that, I'm right. definitely for rewriting those rules and, and right. where and, and the roots of where those rules come in journalism. But I'm someone who like I never like when a publicist asked me to do certain things in order to get an exclusive and like compromise my integrity to do so like hey can you email me the questions beforehand so i can vet them i'm like no that's not an interview then (laughs) like that's not an interview that's called a press release like come on like let's be real wow yeah that's so true and again i'm the one who says it to them directly and then they get all flustered and they're like okay well let me talk to the artist and i honestly i've lost interviews sometimes because I, I refuse to email questions beforehand or I refuse to do certain things, but I'm like, nah, at the end of the day, like if it's going to be a real, if it's going to be a real piece, I have to have, I have to do it with integrity. And if I'm not going to do it with integrity, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. The email questions I never actually like. Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, because I've been on both sides. Like, I was a publicist for a long time. Yes. Oh, yes. I remember. Um, and would you do that, though? Would you do the email thing? You know, it really depends on what the story is and who the client is. Like, if it's an artist, if it's for music stuff, absolutely not. If, like, now now that I'm on the other side of it, and even before, you know, like, before I was doing a lot of stuff in music I was working mm-hmm. in the tech space and mm-hmm. yeah that's why you have kind of, like yeah um, those kinds both. of like media compos and I do those a little bit more now because I write about the intersection of music and tech like, mm-hmm. you know some of that stuff is like pretty crucial for legal like numbers and stuff like that yes. so sometimes I'll like give them a heads up like here's like the thing I want to ask about but I never say exactly and I don't do email um, interviews unless it's like a three questions and I'm asking you pe- five people the same three questions exactly you know? exactly unless you're putting together yeah unless you're putting together something like a um what's it called like a like a composite piece or a slideshow or, or doing a fact check yeah I, yeah I get that but yeah i've had i've had times where like some pretty high profile people they're like what is this interview about can you just email me the questions and then we'll get on the phone i'm like you're like no. it's npr music what do you think it's about fool yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know. And like oh. I said, I've I've lost some of those opp- opportunities because I don't want to compromise my integrity. But I'm like, that's a that's a bullet that I'll bite. I'm fine with that. Like it's okay. Yeah. I really love that you're like so strict about that because I think it's easy to be become more flexible in this kind of like media ecosystem. Yeah, especially with how fast everything moves. Yeah, it's so fast, and like you get like one like there's so many variables too. And I don't think people understand that like producing news is like, it's a production act. Yeah, It's not like, it's not just like, this is the news and this is how it came. It's like, no, there was a publicist. 
there was a graphic designer, there was an editor, there was a writer, there was mm-hmm. like, you know, an interview, <laughs> like, you know, it's like a lot that goes into it. And if you miss like one piece or the timing's off mm-hmm. or you get one piece of information wrong, like one word, literally mm-hmm. a word can change an entire narrative. Yep. Yeah. The production of news is a real thing. Um, there's a couple things that you mentioned, I would say like your interest in helping to move the ball to the next generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. T- talk a little bit more about that and how, how you're doing that in your space now and kind of like how that's how you're able to navigate. Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting cause I'm not even sure when I moved to the stage of like other people thinking I'm qualified to give them advice. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm in that stage yet personally, but, but more and more do more and more young people do email me or, or hit me up, um, asking for, for advice or, or especially, okay. It's, it's a lot of young women either like senior year of college or just graduating or just trying to transition into journalism or just trying to transition into the music business. And they're, you know, they're finding, they're finding the hardships that nobody tells you about, like the Mm -hmm. ones that nobody told me about, like how to like the music business is super, is still super like stringent, still male dominated, still hella cutthroat. So they, so Mm -hmm. it's like they're, they're asking for advice about how to navigate. And then the journalism world, like I feel like the rules get rewritten so often and people don't tell you the way like to progress through this in a, in a way that, that is clear cut. So yeah, a lot, a lot more um, young women have started to ask me for advice and I don't take the responsibility of that lightly at all. So I try to be very considerate in what I share with them. But mm-hmm. um I always say, like the thing I just said earlier about voice, I say that to them. I'm like, no matter what, you just got to know your voice is valid, urgent, and necessary. Like mm-hmm. you are needed in this space. And don't let that get make you get cocky, but also don't forget who you are and don't dim who you are for the sake mm-hmm. of like just being be, being quote unquote lucky enough to be here, you know. Right. Um, don't dim who you are. Don't dim your ideas. Don't dim your perspective in order to just get by in a mm-hmm. space like this. Um, I'm also someone who I realize how much it did for me when someone recognize my potential as an intern. Like I said, like when Adeska would start to give me stuff or when Dara would, um, would give me more tasks or when we would stay connected and then she helped me get my first job or something like that. I recognize how important that was for me. So I try to do that a lot with who our interns are at NPR music mm. and NPR has a really great intern program in general. Um, we, we believe in the interns a lot then. And, and, you know, an internship now is not like an internship when I was coming up, probably when you were coming up too. like, we don't make interns get coffee and stuff. I remember I would get smoothies <laughs> and coffee for people. Oh my God, yeah. We don't um, do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm happy to see that NPR doesn't do that. And, and I feel like if I see somebody's potential, I like 
I am all for like maximizing it. I'm like, yo, you have three or four months to make an impression. I see that you want this. I see that you have good ideas. I see that you're taking initiative here. Do this, do this, do this. And I'll like, like incrementally give people more responsibility. And there's some people who've gone through our internship program, at least when I was there, who have gone on to do great things. Like, like Stephanie Fernandez was one of our first interns and she was really big on like, covering the reggaeton tip and the, mm. and the, um, the like exploding Latinx market. And mm-hmm. so she took initiative and like by the end of, by the end of her internship, it was like her beat. And I'm like, okay, That's good. Amazing. Yeah. And she was a great writer. Um, mm-hmm. same thing. I could say the same thing for like Emily Abshire, um, Kat Zhang, who's now over at Pitchfork. Emily Abshire works at NPR. She doesn't work in the music department, but she still contributes to the music department. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mano Sandorosin, who works on All Things Considered, but is now, he's getting a lot of hip hop artists on All Things Considered. He's doing a great job with that. And it's like, anytime I see somebody's potential, I'm mm-hmm. all for maximizing it. Like, cause that's what somebody did for me. Like, they saw my potential, they saw my initiative, and they pushed me on it a little bit. So that's all you got to do. All you, honestly, all you really need is to know that someone believes in you and that it just empowers you so much, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try to say, like, when I, when I believe in somebody, I show that I believe in them. I don't try to make mm-hmm. them pass all these extra tests to, like, get through these hoops to, you know, get the gauntlet <laughs> yeah. to yeah, yeah, like yeah, be yeah, the yeah. perfect intern. But I'm like, if I believe in you, I'm gonna let you know, I believe in you. And that makes right, right. all the difference because people, you know, you walk into a meeting straighter, you, you say your pitch with more conviction. You, right. um, you hold your own, you take the initiative to schedule a meeting and like put it on a calendar with somebody and you show up on time for that meeting, you know, for that one-on-one, it, it empowers you in a way that, that is, is like, you see the benefit of it tenfold. And that's what mm-hmm. I love. And, and that's what somebody did for me along the way. Um, and it was always, it was, it was pretty much always women, except for, I'll say like two instances where it was men. And every time it was a woman, it was a woman of color. And I was like, oh, okay. It's cause you want to see something more for the future of women in this industry. And that's what I want to see too. Yeah. Because I realize how much, um, how much someone, how much people at certain turning points in my career poured into me and believed in me and showed that they believed in me and they gave me more tasks to show that they believed in me. Like that has been like the biggest benefit to me. And it doesn't always have to be the editor in chief. It doesn't always have to be like the big boss, the senior editor. It can be an assistant right. editor or it can be someone who's on like the same level as you. Because yeah, in, in 10 years time, I don't want to be the only one in the boardroom with some people looking at me with glazed expressions and me just being like, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. I want more of the boardroom to reflect, um, the demographic that I see myself in, you know, and the demographic that's coming up, like the Gen Z. Yeah. Do you see that happening? Like, do you, do you see it in the, in the near future? Or do you think it's going to take some time? Um, it's so funny because if you had asked me that six months ago, I would say it's going to take longer. But mm-hmm. the time that we're living through right now with, with COVID, with the, with the re-energizing of Black Lives Matter, with the reckoning that's happening in so many industries, 
there's been a whole um, upheaval of old initiatives when it comes to the hierarchy of media and journalism. It's been a real toppling of the old guard. And so I think there has been more calls to action to diversify newsrooms and to have newsrooms actually reflect America and reflect people that they are so vocal about saying they want to cover and, and the voices they want to, and the listenership that they want to covet. But, um, but they haven't been reflecting that and actually the people who are covering it. So I would say if you asked me that six months ago, I would say it would, it's probably going to take some time. But right now we're living in a time that is so extenuating circumstances for everything, every facet Mm -hmm. of society that I feel like the, the evolution of it is being is being accelerated. And I'm really encouraged by that. Like I already know there's a whole network of, of black women, um, of black people, brown people, um, LGBTQI identifying writers who are being brought into the fold now that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been considered before. And, you know, on one hand it's like, mm, it's about damn time. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, now we're on, now we're here. Now that you've, now that you're really trying to make amends, like, is, is this allyship performative? And it's, is it going to be for two weeks or is it going to have long-term effects? And I will say from some of the things that, uh, I know are happening privately, uh, behind closed doors and not so much on the Twitter sphere that, I can say in our camp, like it's definitely changing and it's changing rapid, more rapidly than I would expect. And it's something that I am encouraged by. That's exciting. It is. It is. And I'm excited. Like I said, like I said, you could, you could be, you could be of two minds about it. You could be like, well, you know, y'all should have been doing this. Like I said, right, right. however many years ago, but, or you could be like, okay, we're here now. These are, are the changes that we want to make. Like, yeah. Yeah. Be in the moment and move forward together. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. A lot of new narratives are going to open up. I'm excited. And that's what I'm, yeah, exactly. So many new narratives that weren't (laughs) considered. Yeah, like real narratives that exist and like. Uh Uh-huh. Even, yeah, even during this time, I feel like so many people are like challenging their narrative norms that they've grown up with. Yeah. Around literally every strata of society from like race, class, gender, work, passion, like sexuality, like every, mm-hmm. like a it's enlightening. Right yeah. Like, the, like yeah. you, people joke about a cultural reset. Like this is for real cultural reset. Like yeah. earlier this week, I think, um, I think it was Halle, Halle Berry who was going to play, uh, a transgendered person in a film and that news came out and then so much of the trans community was like, please reconsider this right. because you're taking a job away and a narrative away from someone who could, who, who is a trans actor who could play it. And <laughs> right. after, after a few days, and sometimes you feel like social media chatter doesn't get anywhere, but it's really fostering change. Like I think it was a few days later. She was like, okay, I'm not going to play this role. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to fall back and I'm going to let somebody else take this role. And it's like, yeah, I think, I think we're considering more than we ever have before. It's not just like yes or no. And like, 
there's no more shrugging your shoulders and it is what it is and like, oh, that's right. the way the game goes type of thing. Right, like, right, no, right. you can change, you can shift paradigms, you can shift conversation, you can start and kill conversation, you can, you can, I mean, you can dead whole organizations if you want to. <laughs> your voice Truly, is there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. We are really going through, we're living through a reckoning in, as you said, every strata of society. And it's, I mean, we needed this, you know? Totally. Yeah. You mentioned earlier something about very casually your podcast. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what's, the, what's the story with that? Yo, the power of the segue, number one. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of pushing new narratives, NPR Music has been developing a podcast for about a year and a half now, and it's going to be co-hosted by myself, and Rodney Carmichael, who's NPR Music's hip-hop critic. And it's all about the interconnected rise of hip-hop and mass incarceration. So we look at... Yeah. So we look at how hip-hop, since its birth, has been the the most rapid response to a lot of uh, political and sociopolitical change that's been happening in the Black community, whether you think of The Message or Super Predator or... um, or even like even up to now, feds watching or, you know, charges to the game, things like that. Before there were all these studies about the effects of war on drugs and vilifying young black men in the media, like hip hop was there. Hip hop was calling it out and taking it to task off jump because it's the most immediate grassroots art form to speak words to power and to share your truth. Like I said before, hip hop has always been protest music, even in its joyous party anthems like black resilience and black partying and black joy is resistance and it is protest because we're living in a country that didn't want any of that for us that didn't even regard us as human beings for a really long time so i love that this upcoming podcast is going to marry two things that i've always been so passionate about which is hip-hop music and the dissection of the art form in a in a real not so much like hoity-toity, but academic in a very serious way. And Mm -hmm. looking at how the music and the culture has always put a mirror to the things that are happening in the black community and the things that are being done to the black community and to things that um, society at large would actually prefer you forget about. So it's a mix of highly narrative storytelling, investigative reporting, documentary-style audio, um, and then socio-political analysis. And I'm really excited. It's gonna, it's gonna launch this fall and I can confidently say it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career. And so far it's been one of the most fulfilling things I've done. So I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear it, for the world to hear it. Oh, it sounds so good. It's like the untold yeah. stories that we didn't know we really needed right now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. the timing is so good, too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I said, this has been in development for a while, but it's just yeah. really crazy that it's colliding with this moment in history that we're living through. And yeah. on the one hand, it's like, I wish this moment wasn't happening, obviously, but then right. Then again, we wouldn't have anything to report on and to call out and to draw a through line to. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be, I mean, I hope, I hope it gets a good listenership and gets 
um, gets consideration and I hope it makes an impact and it hopes, I hope it causes some type of cultural conversation because a lot of the stories that we dig into are stories that hip hop fans know, but it's kind of the story behind the story and like the fallout oh. after the, after the news cycle is done type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to have guests as well or is it more of like a storytelling of a story that's already happened? It's um it's a mix of both actually. So format is going to be a few uh narrative style retelling yeah. of certain stories and and going deeper into certain hip hop stories and some is more like roundtable discussion is and some of it is just like tracking the timeline from like Reaganomics mm-hmm. to the the 94 crime bill to the early 2000s and um like uh and contra to uh criminalization of hip hop culture and people getting arrested for like selling mixtapes and like graffiti and stuff. It's like a time some of it is timeline mapping, some of it is round table, barbershop style, and some of it is highly narrative. So we're trying to do a lot. <laughs> um well thank you so much for hanging out and uh talking about your life. Yeah, thank you me. so much for having me. I don't normally, I mean, as I said to you in email, I don't normally do this. I don't really like talking about myself that much, but I love you and I love what you Aww. do. So I was happy I really, to do it. I really enjoyed our combo and your like cultural mark. So um, I enjoy exciting. your culture. Wow, cultural mark. You're so hey, I enjoy your cultural mark, bro. <laughs> no, that's no, no, no. That's like a real ass compliment. Thank you. Thank wow. you. Wow. Yeah. Because you I know mean, there are days when you're like, am I even making a difference? Is there any like, impact at all? Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Current Mood on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Anchor and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Also, join us on Instagram for some super cool visuals at currentmood.io. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And if you really feel like reaching out, send a message. Tell us what you are feeling, please. Thanks so much.